SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the SB Nation Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition, presented to you by UnderdogDynasty.com, your home for exclusive Group of Five football coverage. The voice you're probably used to hearing open this podcast is that of one Joe Broback. However, as I'm sure you can probably tell by my lack of a Minnesota accent, I am not Joe Broback. My name is Eric Henry. I'm the co-managing editor of Underdog Dynasty. Uh, I also shared those roles with one Joe Londergan. Uh, in addition to being the co-managing editor, I am the co-host of the Conference USA podcast, and I cover Conference USA and FIU in specificity. But I'll be pinch hitting for Joe tonight. Some changes will become to the American podcast in the near future, things that I know I'm really excited about and I think we as a staff are really excited about. So please, please, please stay tuned for that. Those of you who have been faithful, loyal listeners of the American going back through Joe Talk, through Joe Broback and Dan Morrison and, you know, continuing, I promise nothing is changing with the American podcast. So please stay tuned for that. And you may have seen uh, a little teaser tweet uh, from Joe Broback as well as, from, as far as some exciting news that he has. I will not spoil that information. So stay tuned to a later podcast to hear him divulge that information. But in the meantime, now we've got all that clerical work out of the way. Uh, who is joining me tonight is the voice you've come to know and love, Mr. Dan Morrison. Dan, how's it going tonight, buddy? It's going well, but love really is a strong word. I'm sure they're already sick of me. <laughs> yeah, we know how the uh, college football uh, landscape can be as far as the fans are concerned. You know, it's definitely a, we have our fair share, both Joe uh, Londergan and I have our fair share of loyal listeners. And we've got a couple of uh, guys out there left to tell us that we know nothing about what we're talking about. So I uh, can definitely understand that. But without further ado, the team that we'll be getting to tonight and both Dan and I, I'm going to have to, Dan, I'm going to go on over under just really quick over under on amount of times I call you Joe at one. I'm going to let one Joe slip because I'm so used okay. to hosting with, with gotcha. uh, Joe. Yeah. Joe you've one. always had a Joe somewhere in there. <laughs> exactly. <But. laughs> All right. I'm going to do a three, two, and one. The team we'll be getting to tonight. And we promise this is just a pure coincidence is one that both Dan and I have an affiliation with. I am in, I am a graduate of UCF and Dan spends a lot of time talking and covering about the UCF night. So we'll be talking tonight about the University of Central Florida. I'm a graduate class of 2015, and I found out off-air pre-taping that uh, Dan and I overlap for a little bit. Uh, so this is a team that we, in a program, we both have plenty of familiarity with. Dan, uh, want to go ahead and start. It is a team that really since the start of the 2017 season has been in the, you know, bullseye of the college ball landscape, really a, a uh, you know, factor in terms of love them or hate them you know for us we tend to love them but plenty of people have had strong opinions uh, they've had plenty of success uh since the 2017 year and the success really uh i guess you can say it came to a halt a little bit in 2020 however you want to phrase it right. you can say uh, there's been a little bit of underachieving over the past few years and that maybe the josh heupel era uh, i'll give you a quick chance to pine on that before we transition to where we're going in terms of their offseason changes yeah i mean it's been great to be the heel, but it's no fun to be the heel at six and four. So uh, <laughs> you got to straighten that out. Uh, no, I mean, Hypo, there was a clear slide that was occurring and maybe you put some of that towards COVID, but everyone had COVID that they were dealing with in some way, shape or form. So I don't think that that's a good excuse. I think it's a bad year and a weird year at the same time happening, co happening to coincide. 
No, I absolutely think that's a fair assessment. And I absolutely agree with you that it is no fun being the heel. That's like being a Cowboy fan, right? It's like, you know, you can sit here and say we're America's team, but if you just suck all the time or didn't suck, but if you're mediocre, you're just a punching bag. And that's no fun for UCF Twitter Mafia. Exactly. Then with that, the obvious coaching change, Josh Heupel is off to Tennessee, bringing former Auburn coach Gus Malzahn. I will let you pick it up from there, Dan. What were your thoughts on the hire and just kind of what you've seen from him since he's arrived in Orlando? I was initially very surprised by the hire, to be honest with you. I didn't think he was a legitimate candidate for the job, just given where he was coming from, what he was leaving, the amount of stress that comes with Auburn. I I thought he'd want to take a couple years off or even consider just leaving entirely and saying, all right, I'm, you know, it's a good time to retire. I've got my 20 something million dollar buyout. I'm going to go live on an Island and forget about it. Uh, I thought Rhett Lashley, actually the Miami OC was going to be the guy at the end of the day. It didn't work out like that. I like the height or the uh, Gus Malzahn hire overall. When you look at it in a vacuum, I don't generally love guys coming down off jobs, but it felt like he wasn't necessarily coming down. He was leaving a job where the expectations were unrealistic for who they are as a program. And that to me is different than failing. Uh, so I like it. I like his offense overall. It's not as explosive as Heupel's, but that's also to an extent by design. It's not going to be as feast or famine either. It's going to be much more consistent flow. He pays a lot more attention to the defensive side of the ball. And I've much preferred what I've seen recruiting wise from Malzahn from what I've seen from Heupel for the past few years. So I like it so far. But, you know, that's a first reaction. We're in the honeymoon phase. So No, Dan, it's interesting to make a couple of points there that I, I find interesting as well in terms of the fact that with Gus Malzahn, I think you're right. Typically, if you're, you know, quote unquote, a group of five, I know you see fans feel a certain way about that phrase. But if you're a, a group of five school, you don't necessarily want a coach that's coming down. Right. But I couldn't agree more. I thought the expectations at Auburn were completely unrealistic. And you're getting someone who has something to prove. I think that's very, very important to note. And last but not least, Dan, I definitely want your thoughts on, on this before we uh, kind of go into some of the assistant coaching hires. And then, of course, you know, the offseason with recruiting and what they're looking at in 2021. I've always felt with Josh Heupel, that job made him, right? You know, he picked up where Scott Frost left off and it gave him a, a, a profile. And that yeah. job kind of made him. Whereas with Gus Malzahn, he seemed to embrace the culture of UCF, right? Scott Frost gave UCF an identity. And it's not necessarily that the identity is being the heel, but they've really embraced that we're going to be different. We're going to be unique uh, than everyone else, right? And it felt like Josh Heupel was like, okay, I'm here. This is the job. I, it's a byproduct of the job. Whereas Dustin Alzan, and I'm not saying he's out there, you know, giving rah-rah speeches, but he seems to be embracing the UCF kind of aura, the UCF swag a little bit. Would you Would you agree with that? Or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think he has a lot more than I'm thinking about Hypo. When Hypo got here, he kind of was like, all right, I'm getting a great product. We just have to roll with it and keep it going. Uh, obviously, he put his own spin on the offense, but it stayed from spread to spread offense just a little bit faster and a little bit more downfield than what uh, Frost liked to do. Malzahn, what I've seen from him, it really is this much more, hey, we're the city of Orlando and we're going to benchmark. This is our Orange County, Seminole County. Uh, that kind of region of the state is going to be ours to recruit. It's going to be ours to identify with. And yeah, you've seen it from the whole coaching staff. Uh, they're going and working with NASA more than Hypel ever was. Hypel just sort of felt like happened to be in Orlando 
Yeah, so I'm glad that wasn't a, a figure in my imagination there. I definitely felt that even, you know, in covering CUSA, it seemed like he just was like, all right, I, I got to pick it up and keep it rolling as opposed to embracing it. So uh, there's certainly that. But uh, really quick, I want to get into some of the, the, the coaching staff in terms of offense and defensive uh, coordinators. And you mentioned a really smart point in terms of the change in offensive philosophy. It was one that, again, I, I had a chance to cover, let's see, during Josh Heupel's tenure, I covered – four UCF games, if memory serves me correct. And one thing's very apparent, they were going downfield a lot. It was very much feast or famine. With Gus Malzahn, anyone who watched Auburn offense knows, I don't want to make an analogy to an air raid offense, but there's a level of like a measured approach of this is how we're going to go about getting downfield as opposed to just chucking it downfield. So uh, real quick, just going to name the coordinators, and then, Dan, I will let you kind of get into as far as your thoughts and you know maybe what you're kind of expecting and maybe some differences from last year's coordinators as well. Um, offensive coordinator is going to be both co-coordinators in terms of both sides of the ball, both sides of the ball, excuse me, G.J. Kinney and former FIU offensive coordinator, or excuse me, former FIU running backs coach, was the offensive coordinator for about – a month and a half there at FIU, Tim Harris Jr. will share the roles of the co-offensive coordinators. And, of course, on the defensive side, former Auburn assistant Travis Williams will share the role with David Gibbs, who was the former defensive coordinator at Texas Tech. Of course, Tech had their fair share of defensive struggles going back to the Kingsbury era. But, uh, you know, Dan, let's you pick it up from there as far as those names, what you may or may not have seen so far, and maybe in comparison from the previous administration. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think on the defensive side, it's Williams' defense and Gibbs is there in a much more uh, supportive role than anything yeah. else. If if my understanding of what their dynamic is correct, it's going to be him calling the plays. It's his, it's his baby. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think with defense, it's one of those things where you have to fit what your scheme is to your personnel. And I think that they're going to do a good job of doing that. Uh, UCF does not have the personnel to run anything more than two linebackers onto the field at a time right now. They just don't. So he's going to have to kind of roll that four two five kind of philosophy if he wants to at least not get exposed in the front seven for the first year or so while they recruit a difference if he wants to change. So I don't think we're going to see all that much, broadly speaking, schematic shift from what Randy Shannon was doing. But what I, I want to see the change with, with Randy Shannon's defense was they came out so incredibly flat half the time. They could adjust pretty well, but it seemed like they weren't in it for a lot of the game. And that always, it made you a little bit nervous that they're going to give up 30 points before you blinked, especially if the offense was stalling out because a Josh Heupel offense that stalls out is off the field in 20 seconds. And that's not good for a defense that's struggling. Uh, On the offensive side of the ball, I expect to see this funky new thing that kids are doing called crossing routes and power running, stuff like that. It's going to be a unique shift for a lot of UCF fans. Not quite back to what Scott Frost was doing, but I think it's going to look a little bit closer to that. It's not going to have as much, uh, not as much off option influence, though I would expect to see Gabriel, who is a capable runner, and people don't give him credit for that, running a little bit more than he was under Heupel, because that wasn't an expectation at all. I'll give my two cents. It's kind of funny. You uh, Again, this is what my second time doing a podcast here with Dan. So I'm learning his dry sense of humor. He set me up there with the crossing routes. I was ready for something really profound. And he's like crossing routes. And I had to get a, a chuckle out of there. Uh, in terms of the Tim Harris Jr. aspect, again, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, around Coach Harris at FIU. And I believe if my understanding is correct, and Dan can correct me on this, that he's coming in and kind of that Gibbs role in terms of the support, mm-hmm. in terms of the offense there. But um, is that correct, Dan, first off? Yeah, it, Kenny is the primary offensive coordinator, all, all things considered, if you look at the structure of it. 
but yeah, it's I my understanding is what Malzahn wants is he wants everyone to have someone to bat something off of. So it's not just you thinking, I think this is a good idea, but is it he wants you to be able to have that dialogue and uh just help you with all the especially with two brand new coordinators. Uh I don't believe Kenny was a coordinator before this. He was at Hawaii. He might have no, he was the office coordinator for one year at Hawaii. And it was a weird year. So uh this is I think Williams was an assistant coordinator at Auburn for a while there, but he was mostly a linebackers coach. So it, it's really about giving those guys a little bit of a structure to work with and not be on their own in those roles right away. Exactly. So let's piggyback off that point there with Coach Harris. Uh, and you're right, you know, Coach Harris would have been a first-time offensive coordinator had he kept the FIU job. So certainly the responsibilities as far as play calling, things of that nature, you wouldn't necessarily expect. What he is going to bring, uh, is, again, I, I can just provide this tidbit as someone who spent a lot of time around him. A, is one of the top recruiters in the South Florida area, mm-hmm. uh, being a South Florida native. And B, a guy who's really well loved as a running backs coach man just had a conversation with his former running back who uh dealt with a personal tragedy um last year i won't divulge the details but um he talked about how coach harris really was someone you can lean on and i just think in that locker room uh that's the type of personality dealing with a lot of kids who are from florida that will play really well so just uh my two cents on that but let's go ahead and transition to the offense dan you know in, yeah. in terms of the talent returning who are some guys that you kind of have keep can keep your eye on i mean obviously listen we both are huge Dylan Gabriel fans, I, I'm going to assume here for you, Joe. Uh, here's my one. Here's my one. Here's my one. I, I said I had one, Joe. I thought, yeah. All right. So now you really – I'm going to have to keep you on uh, keep you on pace to stick with that one. Yeah, no. Dylan exactly. Gabriel, I I don't know how much we have to talk about how good he is. Because he is the best quarterback in the American. He's, I'd say, the best group of five quarterback. Wait, so you're uh, saying it's not Desmond Ritter. You're running contrary to the, some of the – Desmond Ritter – Desmond Ritter can't throw the ball 20 yards downfield with any consistency. And that's, I think he's a very good quarterback, but if you can't do that, you've got an issue. Uh, Dylan Gabriel is, I'll give you my long list of things I like about him. He can run the ball. I know a lot of UCF fans complained, especially his freshman year, that he wasn't running the ball enough. This is a guy who was committed to Army at one point. He can run the ball. That's not an issue for him. This is a guy who can throw the deep ball nearly perfectly. He's a got great ability to escape a bad pocket. He moves well. He keeps his eyes downfield, and he's deadly accurate ball. I, there's not anything to dislike about his game. Right now, he's sixth all-time at UCF in terms of passing yards with 7,223 7, on his career, and he is uh, fifth all-time for passing touchdowns with 61. If he throws for 4,189 and 23 touchdowns, he'll tie both of Culpepper's records at UCF. And that's in his junior year. That's with a year to go. So, no, there's nothing to dislike about Dylan Gabriel. Moving on, because you already knew that. Uh, The wide receivers, there's more of a question mark at. Uh, We all know Jalen Robinson, speed is speed, and he's a Bolitnikoff watchless guy. And then you've got Ryan O'Keefe, who I think is a very capable wide receiver who fits well into those like crossing routes that I mentioned earlier that we're going to like to see from the Malzahn offense. He's going to get open. He's going to get his touches. After that, there's going to be a lot of change to what you see, though, the names that you see. But it's just, you know, guys graduate, guys move on. Expect a lot more from the tight end than you've seen under Josh Heupel. That tight ends were an afterthought. Jake Heskock is back. He's going to be a big part of the offense up the middle throwing the ball. You've got three major transfers, Nate Craig Myers, Jordan Johnson, Brandon Johnson. All of them are power five transfers. Nate Craig was at Colorado State, but at Auburn before that. So, you know, all of them at one point played for a power five school. Jordan Johnson was a high five star uh, when he went to Notre Dame. So at least one of those guys, I think, steps up. I think you've got a well-rounded receiving core. 
It's just a question of who. Dan, I want to ask you this for because I have some thoughts in terms of I don't necessarily want to say a question mark, but some guys who intrigue me and, and both of them are on the offensive line. What are your thoughts on the run game? That's a position that UCF has had a lot of success over the past year. The stable of backs. Just curious your thoughts. Uh, I'll go back to comparing what Heupel was doing to what we're going to see now. What Josh Heupel did was every single play, there was a pass play and a run play called. And it was basically on the quarterback to say, there's X amount of people in the box or there's X amount of DBs on the field and go with the runner pass based on that. And what a lot of UCF fans uh, found was that it's a very simplistic approach. And if your defense that you're facing can go man coverage and beat you, they're going to stuff the run every time. That's not quite what you're going to see this year. It's a lot more power run, a lot more like zone blocking scheme is what I'm expecting to see. Uh, and I think that's a good thing for the run game overall. Now you've got basically, I'd say two running backs who are going to share the load. Bentavius Thompson, uh, he's the guy from last year who's coming back. He's a little bit on the smaller side as a lot of UCF running backs tend to be, but he's a good one cut and go. I think he's a faster version of Greg McRae if you look at him. Uh, and then there's RJ Harvey, who is a transfer from Virginia. He was a quarterback at one point moving to running back. Thought he looked very good in the spring game. I think he's going to be a capable second option. Uh, and there was also Mark Anthony Richards, the Auburn transfer, who uh, was another highly recruited guy out of high school, but hasn't panned out to this point. Moving over with Malzahn, he might get some touches, and I'm forgetting the guy's name right now, but there's a big Northwestern running back who transferred in as well. So there's options. It's just a matter of who meshes into the, the new offensive style well and uh, who steps up from the transfers. My kind of, and again, I don't mean this as a question mark. I just find this intriguing because I think UCF has one of the more talented offensive lines in all of G5 football, you could Cole mm-hmm. Snyder, uh, Matt Lee, you know, first team all conference uh, as a young player. I believe he was a, a, Matt, what, a, he was a true freshman. freshman. True freshman. True freshman. There you go. So a uh, kid out of Haggerty High School, you know, right up the road there in Oviedo. Mm-hmm. This is what, a guy who I have had my eyes on ever since he got to UCF. I remember him out of the Bradenton area. He was, in terms of the, the um, excuse me, the Scott Frost era, really uh, one of the top in terms of athletic recruits from the offensive line and think this guy's going to be a standout. And he unfortunately got hurt. I want to say it was 2018 as a, a red shirt freshman year. And that's Sam Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he has the potential and he's come back and, you know, he, he's been healthy. He's played the last two years, mm-hmm. but he's a guy who I thought would have bookend uh, coming on and entering that sophomore year before he got hurt as an all conference guy, kind of where you think Cole Snyder and Matt Lee is. So just really want your thoughts on him on the right side of the line. I I think he's great because of how versatile he is. There's so many offensive linemen out there who can only play guard or they can only play tackle or they can only play on the right side or the left side. Sam Jackson out can play any position but center on the offensive line. And centers, that's what Matt Lee plays, so it's covered anyways. But it's its own ball of wax. It's an incredibly difficult position. But he can play any of the others. So Anytime you've got an injury and you need him to fill in because someone else can say cover at right tackle, fine, but no one else can do left guard that same way he can. He's great. And that's at the same, that versatility is just so useful. It's what a lot of NFL teams when they're scouting offensive linemen look for, because they're going on a smaller roster. We can only carry eight offensive linemen. We need you to be able to play anywhere. Uh, So it's really, it's an ideal design for a player at that position i'm not trying to suggest he's an nfl offensive lineman i'm not trying to suggest he's not i'm just saying that that's the kind of skill set that they're looking for at the next level so yeah i i love him he's absolutely vital to the offensive line and i believe he'll be starting at right tackle at least to start next season but 
like I said, left tackle goes down and you need him to move over. He can do that with ease. Guard goes down, he can kick over too. So it's it's great to have him there. Dan, before we transition to defense, just a quick thought here, thoughts, opinions. Uh, the fact that Quad Jones is back as the back quarterback, you feel pretty solid in just in case, you know, the knock on wood scenario that Dylan Gabriel isn't available? Uh, I feel okay about him. I feel better about a couple of the younger guys who have been recruited recently. Sure. Uh, sure. Parker Navarro type guys. Uh, there's there's a couple of backups who, I mean, I mean, Jones has experience, but it's a new offense for all of them. So I don't, I don't think he's got a leg up in that regard anymore. I've seen him play a few times. He's a capable, I, I guess, spring game. I mean, when I say I've seen him play, but he's gotten only a right. couple snaps in real live action. Uh, he, he looks capable, but it's hard to tell in spring games sometimes. So do I trust it? And of course, no, I, I, I'd rather not trust any of the backups just because there's not enough experience there. I think it's an excellent point. And of course, I reference uh, Quadra Jones because he's the most veteran of probably the quarterbacks behind Dylan Gabriel. Mm-hmm. But you reference Parker Navarro, the uh, highly, t- highly touted recruit out of Arizona as yeah. we transition to the defense here. And Dan, just, you know, I'll let you take it away there as far as, you know, guys who really impress you. I certainly have a couple names that I want to talk about really quick, but I-, I will let you lead the way here, sir. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned it a little bit earlier that the defense under Randy Shannon was a four-two-five base defense, which is kind of like a nickel defense for people who don't know. It's uh, exactly what it sounds four down linemen, two linebackers, and a nickel DB on the field. Uh, their defensive line is going to be really good and it's really underrated because of how poorly last season went coming into this year. Uh, Charlton and Tunier—they are gone. It's unfortunate that whole situation that happened i'm not going to get into it because it's been beaten to death uh but they're no longer there they were the two best defensive ends on the team though uh that's okay you got big cat bryant coming in from auburn who is an all sec talent on the ucf defensive line now and uh he could be the best defensive lineman in the conference he's that talented with all due respect to him, uh sanders up in cincinnati uh, there's also Ricky Barber coming in from Western Kentucky. Your beautiful conference USA has stole him away, too. Uh, Kalia Davis wasn't around last year. He opted out due to COVID concerns. He's back now on the defensive line. Plus, you've got a great group of Cam Good, John Salascar, Traymond Morris, Brash, and uh, Stefan Zayas, Stephen Zayas. Howard, I'm not sure how he pronounces his first name. I don't want to be unfair to him like that. Uh, but you've got enough guys that you can rotate and always stay fresh on the defensive line, which is so important in Orlando, where I don't know how many people who listen to this have been to the bounce house in September, but it is ungodly hot in that stadium. It is absolutely 150 degrees on that field. It's you need to be able to rotate like that. And I think that the defensive line is well built to rotate and stay comp, uh, stay strong at the same time. I'm, much much lower on those linebackers though because they don't have that same depth and after eric gilliard and tatum bethune i don't know what there is that you can trust and even those guys i think are pretty average at the end of the day in terms of uh linebackers in the american dan really quick uh, uh, before we you know maybe kind of get into the um defensive backfield and the specialists i want to ask you something about two guys in specificity first eric gilliard that's a name that i feel like has been around since we were at ucf of course he wasn't quite here that long but yeah you mentioned something, and I am glad to hear you say it as someone who, of course, while you know I'm a UCF alum, a lot of my Saturdays are spent in press boxes across Conference USA, so I don't get a chance to watch UCF games live and catch them on the back end. Mm-hmm. Eric Gilliard, it seemed like, it, and again, I didn't want to be unfair to the kid, but it always felt like he never kind of lived up to that hype that he you know, arrived at UCF with. Would you say that's a fair assessment? 
Yeah, I mean, when he first got to UCF, there was this, I mean, I honestly felt that he was going to step up and be the best linebacker in the conference once he got into the, you know, got a little bit stronger and just got the feel of the defense down. It never really happened like that. He's still a player who can make plays, but he just as often will, it feels like, miss a tackle or be out of position in coverage and just and get burned. So it's, I think he's a 50-50 guy with whether or not he makes a play every time. And that's, it's unfortunate because I do think he's got a lot of potential. He just hasn't ever hit it. I don't see why, you know, who knows, maybe new coaching staff, maybe he hits that potential now, but it's not something I'd roll the dice on. The second player I want to talk about, as you mentioned, was, you know, Kelly Davis coming back who, who opted out last year due to uh, the COVID concerns. It's really interesting because you talk about Ricky Barber Jr. coming in and I obviously know him from covering Conference USA. I had a Conference USA assistant say that as a freshman, he was the top interior lineman that they faced all year and maybe one of the top mm-hmm. two or three in the league. Just wondering how you feel about UCF's defense up the middle in terms of defensive line, because it just looks like they're going to be pretty solid. I, I, like I said, I love the defensive line. The front four, I think, are arguably the best in the conference. Cincinnati would probably say otherwise, but I think that you could make a strong argument UCF is the best defensive line in the conference. Up the middle, I don't think you can run on them very well. Uh, you know, I just don't think that you can. I think that with the guy like, say, Big Cap Ryan on the pass rush, I think it's going to be a really tough time for opposing teams to block them. And that can potentially cover up those issues that I see at linebacker. Because if you, you know, you can't beat the linebackers if you can't get to them. No doubt about that. Uh, All right. So we'll go ahead and take to the secondary. Any thoughts there? I think there's a lot of talent in the secondary. I also think it's as young and raw as the secondary possibly can be. Uh, You know, you look, Aaron Robinson's gone. Richie Grant's gone. Um, You know, a, bevy of other players who I'm not naming right now because if my voice would go out or just gone from what that team had in the past couple of years. And now they've got a lot of new names that a lot of people aren't going to recognize back there. But, you know, Devontae Brown, Zamari Maxwell, Derek Gaines, uh, Jermaine McMillan, Devad Wilson, these aren't names that a ton of people know very well. Uh, I think Derek Gaines is going to prove to be a very good uh, defensive back in time. Maxwell, we saw a lot last year. Uh, we saw him get beat a lot early in the season last year. We had to watch his growing pains as they occurred. Uh, Devad Wilson's a Georgia transfer. He's got a ton of talent. He wanted to be closer to home in Florida. Uh, so there's talent to be had there. There's a chance that they do take a big step forward. I just expect more growing pains from them. It's funny you mentioned Samari Maxwell because I was going to say that's the one name that I think UCF fans are familiar with. And obviously he's a, a kid from my neck of the woods in Pinellas Park, uh, Pinellas Park, High Largo area. Don't want to come down too hard on the kid, but he's a young. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of talent, and a lot of potential, but it was clear how young he was last season. And that's, I think, the nice way to put what happened. Last but not least, we'll take to the special teams. And uh, of course, you know, anyone knows UCF, they've been blessed with great specialists and great returners, not just during the Josh Heupel and Scott Frost era, but really uh, over the past two decades, going back to the Georgia Lyria era uh, in terms of having really good guys at the, again, at the specialist and returner. So I'll just take away with your thoughts uh, on the special teams. Yeah. I thought special teams was something that it was one of those things we talked about Heupel inheriting and kind of just letting it go. I thought that Heupel inherited an excellent special teams unit. Uh, Matthew Wright, Mac Milk, those were, two of the best specialists in UCF history. And 
it slid off after a while there. We had Daniel Obarski last year who UCF fans uh, have had their issues with. Sure. Because the, he missed a kick at the end of the game against Memphis that would have right. uh, given UCF a win. He missed a couple key kicks against Tulsa, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't a great year. He's a young guy, but he clearly had the ups, at least, you know, as, especially after the Memphis game, he clearly just didn't have the confidence in his own leg. Uh, and that's my big concern. There's always going to be an athlete who can return the ball. They need to replace Otis Anderson back there, but it's UCF. It's Florida. You're going to find kids who can return the ball really well. Like you mentioned, it's been probably two decades now where they've always had a good returner. Uh, that's not a concern for me. It really is whether or not Obarski can get his leg sorted out. Uh, you know, last year was 93.9 and extra points. That's percentage of made and 70.6 on field goals. Matt Wright's sophomore year, he was 95.1 and 77.3. So those are down from where Wright was. But if you want to, I don't know, maybe spin positively, Matt Prater only had one year at UCF above 70% on field goals. So look where he is now. You never know. It could just be a head thing that he needs to get over. But that's my big concern is Obarski. Now, and you know what? I will go ahead and go on the record here and say this. And, and you know, maybe this is unfair of me again because I'm someone who doesn't cover the team regularly. I've just covered a handful of games over the past two years. But I was never the biggest Nick Toth fan in terms of him as special teams coordinator. And, and I'm not pinning it all on him. No. But I, that was just kind of my two cents, Dan. Yeah, no, I had uh, several guys on the uh, last coaching staff who I wasn't the biggest fan of. Uh, you know, I, I won't go into because it's not fair to beat a dead horse about guys who aren't there anymore that I didn't like. But uh, suffice it to say, special teams was not something I felt was given the proper attention uh, under Heifel. And that that was a kind of symptom under Heifel, though. A lot of the defensive players after he left felt were openly were saying like we felt like we were kind of second class in his mind behind the offense. I'm sure that trickled into the special teams as well. So Dan, as you get ready to close this one up, do not want to shift. I, of course, you know, I've kind of made this podcast my own. And again, I will hand it back to the very capable hands of one Joe Broback next week, but do not want to veer too far off from the kind of layout that you guys have had. You guys have been going down the schedule, best case, worst case. So um, I have the schedule in front of me. I'm sure you do as well. So yeah. I will hand it off to you. Um, take it away, sir. Yeah. So I see this UCF team at about 10 and 2, give or take a game or so. I think that's a fair place to expect them to be. Uh, I want to start with the out-of-conference games. There's four of them. Uh, Boise State at the Bounce House. Uh, that's a Thursday night, if I'm not mistaken, to open things up. I think UCF wins this game for a couple of reasons. First off, it's going to be so damn hot, and those kids from Boise aren't going to know what they're going to learn what sweat is. They're going to learn about all the different places you can sweat from. And I think that's going to, I think you're going to see a lot of cramping, a lot of legitimate cramping, not fake cramping from Boise state. I think that their offensive line has been pretty bad the past couple of seasons. And I think that UCF defensive line, I was just gushing about is going to take advantage. And I think their quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer is not going to have enough time to throw the ball. I think it's going to be a good opener. Uh, Bethune Cookman after that. Uh, I like Bethune Cookman. I like the HBCUs, but they're an HBCU FCS team coming in. They're not going to win. That's 2-0 in my opinion. At Louisville, the at is always a little bit of a tricky thing, but at the same time, Louisville's got its own issues, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think UCF's the more talented, better coached team, so I don't see them losing that one either. 
And then late in the season, they got Yukon coming in as a nice uh, revival of the civil conflict. And if they lose to Yukon, then they're going 0-12. I think it's probably 4-0 out of conference, maybe 3-1 if you want to pick Louisville or Boise State to stub your toe against. But I think 4-0 is a fair expectation there. Uh, in the conference at Navy, never fun to play at Navy. Joe and I have talked about it in the past. It's a weirdly tough place to play. It's the triple option. They cut block you. No one likes doing it. There's such a huge talent gap here. It shouldn't make a difference. UCF should win. Uh, ECU, I, we again, I like ECU. I think they're going to push for a bowl game. They should not be finding one of their six wins this year against UCF. Uh, at Cincinnati, you can mark it as a loss. It's okay. Just do it on the road. I think it's going to be a very good game. I don't see any reason to not, at least right now in a vacuum, expect Cincinnati to win that game. Uh, their defense is just too good. Uh, you get Memphis at home after that. Hypothetically, this could be a good game, but I'm not super high on Memphis. They've got questions at quarterback. They've got questions at running back. They've got questions on defense. I think UCF wins that one, but I think that there's a possibility. It's a tough game. Uh, at Temple, Temple's the worst team in the conference when uh, hosting Tulane. Again, I like Tulane, but this is not a game that UCF should lose. Uh, followed by at SMU. Just last week, we did our SMU pod. On that pod, I said it's a 50-50 one for UCF to go to SMU and win. Uh, I, I think I'm going to stick by that. I'd say it's about 50-50 chance that UCF wins or loses that game. Flip a coin. Uh, and then the Black Friday game against USF. And I want to say this the nicest way possible, but it should be a four-score game. It, so, it, yeah, it, I guess I've got them 10-2, and 11-1-ish. It, it's funny you mentioned that that should be a four-score game. I, I covered the... War on I four uh, a couple of years back, uh, and, and, and let me even listen. The the thing is this: Do I think USF is going to win that game. No, have they at times let USF hang around? Yes. Oh yeah, and that they did that it, big time last season. Yeah, so that's the only reason I mentioned as far as the four score game. But the games that I want to point out is just for me looking at the schedule, I find interesting two uh, notes here. One, Tulsa is not on the schedule; they are not playing Tulsa from Thank the off. Thank you, God. You go. I knew you would uh, you would appreciate that because the Golden Hurricane have certainly had the Knights no, number in uh, in plenty of ways, and uh, yeah, I mean that Cincy game. I, I think, in my opinion, that has an opportunity to be the Group of Five game of the year. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I think UCF's going to put up a good fight, but that defense, especially that secondary, man. I mean, they they it is it is so talented, and yeah. um, I think that's one that could be a, a challenge and. And, you know, you're the one who hosts this pod regularly, so you have to give a prediction. I'm just going to say Yusuf's going to go 12 and 0 and win everything. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I do think that Cincinnati game is going to be tough. If we're doing best of worst of, I think there's a chance to go 12 and 0. I don't think Cincinnati's an unbeatable, unfailable opponent. And they've got a couple guys who graduate from that secondary. It's still the best secondary in the conference, but a couple guys to graduate. Who knows? Maybe Malzahn's offense will work better against that defense than Cincinnati's, uh, or sorry, than Heupel's was because Heupel's, once the scripted plays were done, it stalled out pretty bad last year. Uh, plus Marcus Freeman, he's at Notre Dame now. So maybe that defense is just not, the plays just getting called aren't as good this year. You never know. There's all these things that can happen. But again, preseason, before we've seen any proof of that, 
I still have to think that Cincinnati wins. As Dan said, you never know. But with that, we're going to get ready and bring this podcast to a close. want to thank you for listening. As always, you can find the Underdog Dynasty podcast on various platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you want to find us, we are available. You can find Dan on Twitter at Dan underscore Morrison 96. You can find the normal hosts on this of uh, this podcast on Twitter at Joe Broback. That is J-O-E. B-R-O-B-A-C-K. Please give Joe a follow. And if you're inclined, you know, you guys are American fans, but if you're inclined for a little bit of conference USA coverage, you can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. Of course, underdogdynasty.com at underdogdynasty on Twitter, your home for group of five football content. Thank you for listening. Happy football watching. And again, because I am the guest here, I can just be as all unobjective as I please. So, GKCO. Go night. Charge on. Charge on.